High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, academic decathlon athletes, varsity tennis players, potential porn stars. Oh, and an extra special shout out to my wannabe gangsters out there. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my place this evening. But first, school is still in session, and we have some homework to chat about this was your assignment and i would like to see the results lots of homework to chat about this week that's for sure but we have to start where we pretty much always start and that's your every week homework assignment hit that subscribe button if you haven't already whether you're listening on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, stitcher or spotify And remember, guys, you can check out this episode as well as all the other High School Slumber Party episodes at our archive at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. I hope you did your homework and listened to last Friday's episode because we talked idle hands with Ryan Stick of The Ryan Stick Show. He's been having some good shows lately, by the way. What did he have yesterday? I was like, wow. Oh, the directors of that Mel Gibson Santa movie, Fat Man, they were on his show. Check out his show. It's a video show. He's a great dude. Super fun guy. And yeah, we talked Idle Hands. Clearly very passionate about that movie. It's definitely a cool movie. I think a movie that slid under the radar for a lot of people. But if you know it, you have a blast with it. What am I doing? Your homework is to listen to the episode and watch the movie. Go listen, cageclub.me, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope you did your homework for this week as well. We, of course, are watching Better Luck Tomorrow, and it's a film that ties into another show here on the Cage Club Podcast Network. That's right. Too Fast, Too Forever. Those guys are here. The Godfather himself, Joey Lewandowski, is here, as well as Joe Two, the co-host of the Fast and Furious podcast here on this network, as I mentioned, cageclub.me for the 11th time. (laughs) We actually all spoke about this movie more in the Fast and Furious lens on their show, which I erroneously last week said came out on Thursday. I don't know what I was thinking. It came out on Tuesday. Regardless, it's there. It's at cageclub.me. It's wherever you get your podcasts. Hit subscribe to their show as well. It's an awesome show. I guest star on there from time to time, but that's not the reason you should listen. You should listen because they're great guys. And yeah, I mean, they come on this show and we talk more of the high school angle of Better Luck Tomorrow, Justin Lin film. It's the origin story of the Han character, 
but before all this, and I mentioned Justin Lin because he's the director of this, but he's also the director of many, many, many things in the Fast and Furious franchise, which we'll talk about today. Just a warning, we refer to the franchise a lot. This is truly a crossover. This is truly a two-parter, so please, your homework was and is to listen to that episode on their feed, and then come over to our feed here and listen to what we have to offer. Whoa, whoa, whoa! The bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you. Remember that. <laughs> but it is about that time. I know you're eager for it. I know you're waiting for it. You want to hear from the two fast guys. You want to hear all about better luck tomorrow. So pack your favorite jammies. Tell your mother's sleeping at Brian's because we're about to get our party on. I leave you with a song from the Better Luck Tomorrow soundtrack, of course. DJ Shadow, Blood on the Motorway. Class dismissed. And now, eternity. Welcome to another episode of High School Slumber Party. This is a crossover episode, and I have two wonderful guests here today from Too Fast, Too Forever. Guys, why don't you introduce yourself in that classic high school slumber party model? You gonna go first, Joey, or you want me to go first? Hit it. Joe to the Pittsburgh Central Catholic. Roll Vikes. Joey Lewandowski, 100 and Central Regional High School Class of 2006. Go Red Devils. Alexa, off. What was the song? I couldn't hear it. My microphone was recording it. Don't worry. It was just the... And I'll see you again. (laughs) (laughs) And you guys cued it perfectly. It was nice. Cool. Perfect. (laughs) Well, this, of course, is a crossover episode. It's weird because... this doesn't feel like an event movie, you know? Most of the crossover episodes I've done are, like, event movies, and this is like a small indie film that came out in 2002. But it makes sense that this is a crossover. We're talking Better Luck Tomorrow, and of course, this is the origins. Eh, controversial, but you'll maybe have to listen to your episode of that. But the origins of the Han character in the Fastiverse. Of course, we talked, we all talked Han on this very show when we had our epic, and I can't believe we did that. That was in two nights or one night that we did the whole maybe Tokyo Drift. Oh, no, we did it across two or three nights. We definitely didn't yeah. do that all in one night. I think it was two nights, though. I think it was two shows in one night and one show in the other night. 
I can't remember, which is amazing to think that a friend of the program and the most guested man in the high school slumber party, Mike Manzi, you know, he was with us and we all powered through that. That's insane. But Tokyo Drift felt like an event movie. This feels less such that. But guys, happy to have you on. Happy to be here, brother. Now that the dust has settled off the track, what what did you think of our uh, first episode on your show, Too Fast, Too Forever? It was beautiful, and it went off the rails perfectly. I, I thought it was fun. I had a good time. <laughs> Joey, I guess you didn't enjoy it as much. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm the one who has to edit the hour and 40 minutes of you <laughs> guest hosting our podcast. Just like, hey, I'm going to ask all the questions now, and here's what I'm all about, and let's see what you guys have answers. And then you would always frame things in a weird way that like, okay, answer this in 10 seconds, which I'm cutting out because like, it's just a yes or no question. Like, of course you're going to answer it in 10 seconds. Like, have you ever been in a drag race? No. Like, that's the answer. So it was a weird thing. It was a very long episode. You know, I'm against long episodes. And yet you dragged it out. I'm trying to get it under two hours. It's going to be under two hours. I'm almost done editing it. But like, boy, oh boy, you love talking on podcasts. <laughs> I do love talking on podcasts. And Joey, I think you get an unfair reputation on High School Slumber Party. Oh, yeah, no, I'm the a- villain. I'm okay with it. I mean, I'm, I don't, I'd rather it not happen, but, you know, it is what it is. But it's unfair. It, it's unfair because you're also the hero. Yeah, I was about to say, Joey's always the hero in the episodes that I'm on. No, no. Uh, Kate hates me. Brian sometimes no. hates me. Mike sometimes no, I... hates me on here. It's all, it's a whole thing. It's mostly no, Kate. N- Kate mostly hates me. There's no hate here at all for you on High School Slumber Party. We don't hate on High School Slumber Party. You're we not only part of love. the cool kids. No, it's not it, it's not it either. I was using a I high school it... reference. That's what I thought that you were getting at. I think, Joey, to be fair, I, I blame myself. I think I just use you as an excuse to make guests talk less. Like, oh, Joey's going to get mad. You know, like the mom and dad dynamic. Like, I'm going to tell your father. You, know? you just make <laughs> Joey bad cop all the time. <laughs> but but you're good cop today because uh, even though we talked for an hour and something, something minutes on Too Fast for Forever, we're going to talk more about better luck tomorrow today. So, guys, less of a Han talk today, more of a high school talk today. Got some questions early on for you. No time limit here. Are you ready for them? Go for it. (laughs) Yes. Justin Lin's film has been challenged by some film critics as denigrating to the Asian American race. Does Better Luck Tomorrow claim to represent the Asian American community? Do the filmmakers have an obligation to present their community only or exclusively in a positive light? What do you think motivated the critics' comments? Brian, I'm standing up and I'm shouting at you that Asian Americans can make whatever films they want and about whoever <laughs> they want and do not have any obligation to represent their people. Thank you. I guess we can end now. Yeah. I was, <laughs> I was, how, how was my Ebert impression? Was that good? It was great. It was very good. This is just interesting because this is when we watched Tokyo Drift with Nico and Kevo, they were saying that like they used Tokyo not as part of the story it was just like look at these cool japanese things and one of my points was like well this movie was made by justin lin and they were like well that doesn't make it better that he's not you know trying to integrate the culture better he's also taiwanese he's not japanese so exactly yeah very good point but yeah you should be able to make a movie about whatever you want right like 
if if it's your movie, I don't think that he was really painting them in a negative light. He was just painting them in like a light that wasn't positive. If it makes more sense. Oh yeah, I, I definitely agree with he that. He wasn't I mean, saying it, like every Asian person is a gangster or like trying to you know start a gang in high school. Like he was just saying like these guys did. So I don't see a problem with that. He shouldn't have to be the ambassador for like this is what the perfect person in my community is or looks like or does right like he yeah. just wants to make an authentic story yeah next question how do the characters ethics where are and you values... reading these from are these aren't your questions are they <laughs> these are my questions how how many, <laughs> how do the characters ethics and value systems change and evolve through the film is it legitimate to evaluate their actions through the lens of morality how else might you characterize the changes they go through during the film business Ethics. <laughs> I think not a high school film. Actually, that is. Is that a high school film? Does he go? Is he, is he only kid at eight? He's probably only kid at eight in Billy Madison, right? That's not high school. No, he is in high school he for is. some of it. Doyle it's, rules. You know, but yeah. yeah, it's like ten minutes, fifteen minutes worth of the movie. Some people are like you gotta do Billy Madison. I'm on the fence. Maybe in like 2027 or something. Yeah, but, uh, Billy Madison's great. I'm not saying it's not great, but it's not mainly focusing high school. Yeah, he's only he, like remember he thinks high school is gonna be like so cool and then. He's not as cool this time. Uh, any answers sorry, to that you, question? Could you repeat the question? All right. I'll repeat it because it's good. But, Joey, you caught me. These are not my questions. I purchased a cheat sheet for you this got episode spark notes for the episode? <laughs> Damn. Colum- Columbia.edu has discussing questions for potential film classes who are going to teach Better Luck Tomorrow. And I thought since this film was kind of about a cheat sheet ring that I might use one. But I think they're um, good questions. They are good questions. I don't know if he... I, I remember the... Go ahead. Repeat it for Joey. Sorry. <laughs> How do the characters' ethics and value systems change and evolve through the film? Is it legitimate to evaluate their actions through the lens of morality? How else might you characterize the changes they go through during the film? I don't think that the main character... What's his name? Ben? Mm-hmm. I don't think that the main character, Ben, like, morally changes. I think he just gets burnt out because he was doing a bunch of cocaine. Like... I think that he does, like, want out, but not because he's like, oh, no, this isn't, like, I don't believe in this anymore. He seems more like he's just like, I'm kind of over it, and, like, I should probably get back to being a normal high school kid. Like, I'm done playing gangster. That's uh, an assessment that is uh, pretty common. I think even the filmmakers uh, and the actors have said it's not necessarily about changes in morality, but they're just in too deep, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And who knows what happens in the end, and we'll talk about it, but, like, I don't know if you can go back from murdering someone. No. Maybe. I yeah, feel like right. one place where the movie drops the ball a little bit is in tying back his relationship with Stephanie. Stephanie's her name, right? Yes. Yes, and absolutely, Joey. I 100% agree. Where it feels like she is kind of the salvation for him, but, like, it's not properly seeded throughout the movie, and... You know, he wants her early on, but she's unavailable. She's with John Cho or whatever. And there's like, yeah. these will, will she, won't they? Like, will they, won't they? If like her and a bunch of different dudes. Like we joked about a little bit on Too Fast about how like there's that group of like, we're the I Love Stephanie Club. It's like, this is weird. But I think if the movie had kept her, like sort of peppered her throughout as like, hey, you should escape this life and like be with her like if she was presenting and i'm not saying that like you kind of turn her into an object but like if she presents a viable alternative i think that that's a way for him to escape this like other sort of criminal enterprise because she's not ultimately good right because we're like we we still teeter and we talked about this too like you know we don't ever know if she actually was or wasn't in that porno right 
and she is hanging out with John Cho. Like, if she was ultimately good, I think your point is perfect. That, like, then she would be, like, the escape of this life, right? Like, sh- she's the goal, and she doesn't coincide with your lifestyle right now. But she kind of, like, it's is in a gray area where she doesn't seem to care that they're gangsters. Like, so, it's weird. I think that because you're in high school, and I know that what they do eventually is, like, you kind of can't come back. I mean, attempted murder attempted suicide, like, shit gets heavy, right? But I think those moments aside, if you're able to separate it, like, they are just kind of playing gangster as opposed to actually being gangsters. Like, it's not like in Brick, where he's running, like, a multi-million dollar drug enterprise. Like, they're they're doing cheat sheets and stuff, right? Like, they're just doing, like, most of it's kind of low level, and they do build their way up, and, like, they're doing, you know, retail scams and whatever, but I think, for the most part, you can just be like, oh, that was just childish behavior, I put those away and I became a man, or whatever. Until they, you know, bash a dude's head in with a baseball bat. Like, that's, you know, that's a different thing. You see this, slumberers, or you hear this? These guys are so professional and so good at podcasting, I'm just throwing these academic questions at them, and they're making ex- exciting, insightful points. You guys are the best. That I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with question three. The are you gonna read the back questions. of the DVD or what? Oh, we're getting into it, but this is just, this is just the, uh, you know, this is the discussion. This is the hors d'oeuvres. I, I figured if you ace this, we could just finish early, and you guys can go home and watch hockey. And Joe, who are you, the fruity films man? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, if you want to get that joke in reference, listen to part one of this crossover. Yeah. All right, quickly. Or it doesn't have to be quickly. Sorry, I'm not going to do that anymore, Joey. I apologize. Stop apologizing. In less than 10 seconds. (laughs) Can you answer this? You owe me a 10-second question. You know that. (laughs) (laughs) Like, if you would phrase it like that, different story. We're like, just answer this quickly. I'm going to ask. I'm going to, like, but you built. I don't know. Go on. Go on. I didn't think of it till now. I'm sorry. I'm not as good as you guys. Uh, (laughs) Number three. Various characters comment at certain moments in the film that someone needs a wake-up call or that... I'm so happy I can't stand it. What do these statements mean? Do stereotypes and ideals of success in fact restrict youth in exploring their identity and place in society? Ooh. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really, yeah. I relate to this because I'm Italian and I think the Italians do this in a way that they always do. Like there's like a joke, like the guy's like, how do you feel today? He's like, well, my back hurts. You know, my mom had a heart attack, whatever, but I can't complain. And it's just like the same type of thing. And I think that the surroundings you have, which may be influenced by the culture that you're in, can influence how you outwardly project your emotions. So like them saying like, you need a wake up call, like the real life's not like that. But if outwardly, they have to project that they're straight A students and very happy and on the up and up. Yeah. That's really interesting. Joey, anything to add? I think stereotypes hold everybody back in one way or another. I think if anybody assumes you are or are not something based on how you look or who you hang out with or who your parents are or whatever, I guess sometimes that could give you the benefit in some ways, but I think in most cases going most to hold cases, you back. Yeah. And it's yeah. also in either direction going to pre like pre, like the literal prejudge prejudice the way people think about you and so you know, judge people for who they are, not where they come from or what they look like or whatever. Like, does this kid bash a dude's head with a baseball bat? Like, he's probably not a good guy. Yeah. Yeah, very true. Even positive stereotypes affect things negatively if you are the exception to that rule. Like, if you, like, don't like something or aren't good at something, then you now are negatively affected by a stereotype that was positive for a bunch of people. So, 
yeah, stereotypes suck, man. You guys, I, those are such great answers to these questions. So I'm looking over what I'm reading from, from Columbia University. And these are actually exam questions for it the Asian, like Asian American filmography class there. You guys would have aced the test. I mean, I didn't write it. I'm trying to look at the author to credit them. But if you're out there, if you happen to be a slumber professor of Asian American filmography at Columbia University, an Ivy League institution. It is. Then bravo, guys. I mean, I don't know. They need to give you honorary degrees from Columbia. Well, one of us does work at an Ivy, so. (laughs) Thank you. I I thought you were going to be like, well, one of us is like... Like educated, and I thought it was going to be you because <laughs> rightfully so. <laughs> and I forgot that yes, you're absolutely right. I don't belong there, so I didn't know if that was canon. I didn't know if that was something we were allowed to talk oh, about. Oh, Jonathan, stop talking about Yale. It's like that dude's from <laughs> Pittsburgh. I work at Yale. Penguins, Penguins, Steelers. Like that's yeah, all that yeah, comes yeah. out of Joe's mouth. Beer. Rachel, got, trash. Yeah, I was gonna say Rachel. Yeah, yeah, yeah Rachel, Rachel beer. But like Rachel is like an addendum that adds on to everything else. Like it's not like, like there's very few <laughs> like Rachel salt. only stories. It's like exactly. Rachel in the scope of another thing. You sprinkle it in. Everything needs it. I forgot who it was, but someone asked me, "Oh, is that the one who's always talking about his wife?" And I'm like, "Who are they?" Oh, and I didn't think of it like that because I assume when someone says that, they're like, "My wife," you know, like come <laughs> yeah. or something. And then I'm like, "Oh yeah, no, you're right." Like I. And I forgot who it was. It was like a year ago. Yeah, but. she's an integral part of my my world experience. So <laughs> she usually shares a lot of the, the things that I'm doing and thinking about. Yeah. So you guys have broken down Better Luck Tomorrow in such a intelligent, academic way. You could win the Better Luck Tomorrow academic decathlon. Ooh. I appreciate it. We should read the back of the DVD. You know my show better than I do, Joey, so I appreciate that. So let's do it. It's a long one, unfortunately. So here goes. Okay. Never underestimate an overachiever. To his classmates and teachers, high schooler Ben Mainbag, Manbag, I don't know, Manybag, we don't hear his last name much in the movie, it doesn't matter, (laughs) appears to be the model student, a perfectionist, and an overachiever, destined for nothing less than graduating at the top of his class and then attending a prestigious college. But underneath this persona is a darker side. Ben and his bored high school buddies lead double lives, flying high in a world of petty crime and material excess in order to ease the pressures of, quote-unquote, being perfect. It's a freewheeling lifestyle that soon takes a downward spiral, leading to an unexpected end. In official selection at Sundance Film Festival, Better Luck Tomorrow is a gripping, edgy, and provocative film that rips the tranquil, well-manicured facade off of middle-class suburbia and cultural stereotypes. I like the the ripping the the, the mask off of middle-class suburbia. I think that's Joey likes coming of age movies. I like movies where like suburban kids break bad. That's like one of my favorite things. It's the like, same I was thing. A city kid. It's the same thing, largely. Right? Really? You think? Mostly. Yeah, I think so. You're right. And of course, I mean, it's not just the Han thing that's the connection here to your show, Too Fast forever it's the uh justin lynn thing right this is justin lynn's baby we mentioned on your show how this is technically a second movie but it's really his first movie this is what breaks him out this is what uh everyone starts talking about justin lynn and he's starting to get other other jobs like eventually tokyo drift and other fast and furious movies 
Once again, how many did he direct in your Fast and Furious universe? He did four, and he's doing the upcoming F9. Actually, while I'm looking, so I, I googled, imaged the Better Luck Tomorrow DVD while you were reading that, and I found uh, there is an oral history. I don't know if you read this, Brian, and I have not. I just found this now. But GDQ did an oral history of Better Luck Tomorrow three years ago called How Dare You Represent Your People yes. That Way. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up, Joey. I did read that. It's super awesome. So every like little, and we'll talk about it here too, but every little IMDb trivia fact is pretty much supplemented by this oral history. And there's a lot of cool secondary facts to the narrative that you, te- you and I tease at the beginning, Joey. This movie got famous, I think, from that Sundance happening. So, Joey, last time you were on, you were telling me, like, how film festivals work and how they sometimes they have multiple screenings. Um, this film, Better Luck Tomorrow, actually blew up on the third screening at Sundance. It wasn't, like, the opening night or anything like that. For whatever reason, you could read it in the GQ article, the movie was doing well, but Justin Lin was kind of like hey, we need to really impress people on the next screening if we want to be picked up by somebody. So he called some of the actors to head over to that third screening, and that's the screening that Ebert happened to be at. Mm. So I found that super fascinating from what you tell me, Joey. It wasn't opening night that this like dropped and everyone was hot about it. This was like the third time people had, not everyone, but you know, the third time it had screened at the festival. So... That actually happened. At the end of the movie, they did like a little bit of a Q&A, and someone actually sh- shouted, oh, how dare you, something along the lines of, how dare you portray Asians this way? Like, why would you do this? Like, as the question alluded to. And Justin Lin kind of wanted to say, oh, I just want to make movies, you know, to make movies. It wasn't really about that. But the first person to speak was actually not Ebert. The first person to speak was actually the guy who plays Virgil, Jason Tobin, and he pretended to pull out a gun and acted as the character of Virgil and threatened the person who said that. Ooh. <laughs> Which is, what a hilarious, <laughs> what a hilarious image. People laughed. Luckily, it wasn't like, oh my God, what are you doing? And that's when Ebert spoke up. And that's when Ebert said, uh, Joey, what, what you said, essentially, like, he doesn't have to do that. Let him make the movie he wants to make. <laughs> to quote what the Virgil guy said, Jason Tobin, it's actually in the article. He literally, like, pretended he had a gun. And he said, I'm going to kill you, motherfucker, to that person. Wow. <laughs> Which is like, holy shit, right? But yeah, Eber really stood up for the movie. And it didn't end there. I uh, find very offensive and condescending about your statement. Is nobody would say to a bunch of white filmmakers, how could you do this to your people? This film has the right to be about these people, and Asian American characters have the right to be whoever the hell they want to be. They do not have to represent their people. He had this long conversation with Justin Lin right afterwards. And he's like, I'm going to another film festival. I want you to come with me there. I'll get you in the festival. Let's talk this movie up. Let's get people seeing this movie because I love this movie. So obviously this is Justin Lin's work. I'm not saying Ebert made this film, but that's a nice thing to do if you're a critic because you could just, you know, put your thumb up or thumb down and not care. But yeah, I loved uh, that GQ article because it really added a little context to that story. I mean... In a year after this movie comes out, when Too Fast comes out, we will see Roger Ebert once again go to bat for this kind of movie because he gave Too Fast three out of four stars. 
I think it was too fast, right, Joe? Or was it Tokyo Drift? I think it was too. I think it was too fast. Yeah, and people were like, whenever he would give another movie, like, quote-unquote, a film, like, two and a half two or and a half. fewer stars, yeah. people would be like, yeah, so it's not as good as Too Fast, but, like, he loved Too <laughs> Fast. And so I think that there is something, rightly so, ideas of him as this, like, actual, like, you know, respected, res- you know, revered film critic who loves the classics, but, like, coming-of-age stories. Like, I think when you see a movie like Too Fast or Better Luck Tomorrow that might not be the best film ever made, but is so specifically what it's trying to do, that I think if you're watching hundreds of movies per year and have to be so serious about everything, that when something comes along that's a breath of fresh air, it's like, oh, I haven't seen this before. I think you were talking about that a little bit on our episode about how high school movies aren't shot like this. And so if you see a bunch of high school movies, you kind of have an idea of, like, what this is going to be, then you see it and you're like, oh, I was wrong. I can see loving it. You know, I was so happy with that. And you're absolutely right with Justin Lin. Like, that, I don't want to do exactly what we did last time, so we're not going to talk about it so much in depth. But you're absolutely right. This looks like a Fast and Furious movie. And I think that's so cool. And, uh, yeah, you don't see that a lot in high school films. No. But especially in 2002, do you guys remember what high school films are coming out from, like, 99 to, like, 2003? No, tell me. Give me, like, some of the highlight well, ones. Well, I mean, 99 I mean, like, was a huge year for movies. Like, yeah. 99 is, like, maybe the best year of movies of all time. Oh, it's great. It's great. But in terms of high school films, you're getting the American Pies. That's all fine and dandy. But 2002, and I've said it on this podcast before... It really felt like the year where you get all this steam from the 90s of this like late revival of like 10 Things I Hate About You, stuff like that, into these, some people love them and I love them, but kind of crappy high school films. Perry Shen, who's the star of this film, who we'll talk about a little bit, he's in another movie we actually covered on High, high School Slumber Party early on called The New Guy with, uh, I forgot his name, he, DJ Qualls, I think his name is. He's like the nerdy kid from Road Trip. Yep. Okay, okay, it, okay, okay, yeah. It's like a really silly but dumb movie with not a lot of substance. 2002 had a lot of those movies. And when I compare Better Luck Tomorrow to like kind of the residual titty comedy crap that was yeah. coming out in 2002, <laughs> it's amazing how different it is not just the way it's shot but subject matter the people you're seeing everything here is so different so it's not just like that lens that i think look if i I think if i showed someone this film they might see the shot work and the camera work and all this and be like oh okay and not be that affected by it but when you put it in the lens of like when it came out this is innovative and it's like super ballsy of justin lynn to shoot things this way and to do everything he did here just want to give a quick quick production notes regarding the film for those of you who didn't listen to Too Fast. MC Hammer is involved, so we'll do it. Justin Lin had this movie, really wanted to do it, maxed out all his credit cards to do it, and he got actually a couple offers from studios. Famously, one studio said, if you put Macaulay Culkin in it and make all the other characters white, we will give you a million dollars to shoot this. But he turned it down because that's not what he wanted to do. It was a very personal project to him. It was based on a true story in Orange County about a a kid who was actually an Asian American kid who was actually murdered by his friends. Almost all of them had Ivy League scholarship lined up. They were all great kids. But Justin Lin decided to stop right there. And he said, that's all I want to know about the movie. I'm going to write my own unique story. I'm not making this like a true story 
kind of thing. It's just going to be like based on that one little nugget and we'll take it from there. And he's really, you know, he saw this as a personal thing. He actually wrote Virgil as himself and he wanted to play Virgil. Justin Lin's at the time. Yeah, he saw himself not just as a filmmaker, but as an actor as well. I think he was talked out of it. I'm glad he was. I mean, look, I haven't seen Justin Lin act, to be honest with you. But Jason Tobin does such a great job as Virgil. Virgil's a fun character to play. You know, he's like yeah. the Sonny Colleone of things. So I get why he would want to play it, but he, I think he made the total right choice. Eventually, you know, he needs that money. He's at a conference. MC Hammer t- talks with him. I think he sees a copy of the movie. And MC and you can see it in this GQ article, Joey, that you mentioned. MC Hammer and him actually parted ways. And that's when he realized he didn't have, like, the budget to make this movie. And he, like, either called him or texted him or sent him a message a couple hours later. Like, hey, MC, by the way, we can't really make this movie. Would you mind helping us out? And MC Hammer, who's interviewed in the article, was like, yeah, this guy was awesome. First of all, he starts it out be like, I love the Asian American community, which is hilarious. But yeah. <laughs> he wired him the money right away and got this done. So shout out to MC Hammer for that. So you're saying he said to Justin Lin, stop Hammer Time? Oh. <laughs> How long were you, you holding that one in? That's good. Uh, no, just to, you know, the last 30 seconds. It wasn't very long. <laughs> okay. It was good, though. It was I do want to go back very, very quickly just to yeah. the previous thing about the early 2000s that – if people are out there shouting, there were there were some good early 2000s. I would say most, Brian, to your point, are not great. But like we had in those early years, you had Ghost World, which was really good. Yes. Just I'm looking at movies that you covered on your show. You had the movie. Oh, was the de- delayed heavily. Oh, I think it was shot in 99. Okay, but still it's and, the same, same sort okay. of era, right? Sure, yes. But it's still not like I wouldn't put it on this level. Ghost World, though. Ghost World is a very comparable movie to this. Bring It On. Battle Royale, which is a little bit different because that's a foreign one. Almost yeah. Famous, your boy Almost Famous. So Interesting. Okay. And then yeah, like it's it's tough, but there are a few. So it's not like it's a really a diamond in the rough, but it you know, there's not that many in there and it's it's a good one. So But it was much to. more prevalent, like Brian said, they have like American Pie and Road Trip and all these kind of movies too, because I remember a ton of these getting like being huge when I was in high school. So that's like right around this time. Or, well, before high school. And trust me, I love them. <laughs> Don't get me... When I was watching them at the time, I'm like, oh, cool, tits. But now, you know, when I look back, it's like, I wish... I saw Ghost World pretty early on, but I didn't appreciate it. I wish I had seen this when I was younger. I wish I had seen Ghost World when I was younger, films like that, because they're super cool. I guess I just wasn't, you know, aware of them enough. But I just love the history of this, the story of this. I don't know. Do you think the Fastiverse would be the same without Justin Lin? Not at all. Not even close. I think it would have died. I think it would have died after two. I think that he's like the sole reason that it's still alive because like he makes Tokyo Drift, which is essentially like a straight to DVD version of the Fast and the Furious. But like the elements that he had in there somehow made it okay for them to greenlight another one where everyone comes back. And I don't really know the history if like if it was him doing it or maybe the actors were all like you know we don't have any other projects let's do another fast and the furious like we don't really know but like for him to have four and carry the franchise from three on till seven is great right so yeah i can't imagine that it exists without him and he's one of my favorite fast and the furious directors so 
like I think he's top tier. So I'm one of your favorite. We talked about it last time. He is your like. There's no. There's nobody yeah. better. There's nobody better. No, I mean like I like what like what John Singleton did for Too Fast too. You know what I mean? Like it's an interesting, different thing. Like if John Singleton would have made a couple of them, it would have been harder to debate but yes you're right in this sense he's definitely the best and my favorite side note i'd love john singleton to do like a hobbs and shaw or something along those lines if he was like, alive he yeah. died theoretically <laughs> theoretically okay. right yeah like i don't want this to sound bad but i would like him to do like a tejan roman movie right that'd be cool yeah see i think that like too fast has like a spin-off quality i guess that's what i meant <laughs> more right that like Maybe John Singleton, not in the Vin Diesel line of things, necessarily, but John Singleton could make a cool spinoff, so rest in peace, I apologize. Yeah. If there were a power ranking of most important people ever in the Fastiverse, you'd have to say Justin Lin is top five? Top three. It's like Vin Diesel and Justin Lin, right? Like, those are like one and two, and you can order them however you want. Hard to argue, hard to argue. Let's talk cast a little bit, because you know I love doing it. Perry Shen, I mentioned it before. I already mentioned that he was in The New Guy. He's our lead here. I think he does a really great job. He actually ended up being like a big soap opera star. But if you read a couple articles, including the GQ article, for some reason, he was randomly getting hot when they were shooting this film. And he turned, according to him, he turned down a bunch of roles. Woody Allen even called him personally and says, hey, I want you to read for this. The movie you're making right now is never going to get made. Leave it. Wow. He said, no, I believe in this. I'm going to do it. So good for him. I think that's awesome. And he seems like this was the time of his life. So I think that's pretty cool. Uh, what do you guys think of uh, Perry Shen and the lead here? Because I you know he's not like a household name today, unlike some of the other people in this film. At least listeners of your show would know, probably not know Perry Shen, right? Yeah. I like him. It's a hard role to play. The more movies I watch with stuff like this, I think that these actors that play characters like this are way more fascinating than somebody like Virgil. Because, like, Virgil plays, like, crazy, right? And Han plays cool. But to have, like, this, like, weird in-between kind of squirrely, like, doesn't really know what they are kind of character, I think would be much more difficult to play because it's, like, way more inside, right? So, um, yeah, I think he did great. Like, I believed it. Like, he seems like he's, like, you know, teetering emotionally between what he wants to do here. So I believed it. I think what works about his character, and I think it's partly the performance and partly the character, is that everybody else is so clearly defined that he kind of is mm. the one who bounces between things. Like, Virgil's the hotheads. Yes. You know, Han is the cool one. Derek is the all-American one. John Cho is... The scumbag, I guess, the the preppy one, the rich, the rich, the, the yuppie or whatever, right? Yuppie, and like yuppie works, yeah. And so Ben is just like our protagonist, and so he's kind of like a blank slate in a way, so that we can see ourselves in him, I guess. And I don't know that he is going to be the standout performer, but like he doesn't do anything to drag the movie down or to be like, oh, I wish he didn't do that. Just like, okay, yeah, he's able to tell the story effectively. Yeah, it's it's hard. I mean, writers talk about this too. Like often, the hardest character to write is your lead character because he is, you know, the vessel for which we watch. And and Jason Tobin who plays Virgil, as I mentioned before, like Virgil is fun character. He's probably going to be fun. recognized, you know, for things and and. But that's the character people want to play because not because it's easy. I'm not like criticizing his performance at all, but like that's I don't know. Like you you're said, at eleven, it, it, yeah, you just yeah. turn it up and like you're exactly. just very like hype. So yeah, I agree with you. Like not saying it's easy, but I think that it would be somewhat easier to play a character that you could just be like, let's just yell, wave guns, 
and like get hot. Right? See, now I don't want to disagree, but I think that he actually brings a lot more to it than you guys are giving him credit for. Like, I think the best bit of acting this entire movie is when he's in the back of the car and he's on the verge mm-hmm. of tears when Fair. he's afraid that his dad is going to kill him because he pulled the gun out of the party or whatever. Like, he was involved with the party, the fight at the party. And, like, that is a level of acting in this movie that I don't think anybody else ever reaches. And I think it's because of the mania that he has brought to the beginning of the movie. But him breaking down and trying to, like, keep up this tough guy bravado, but that's not him. And I think that he's able to, like, there's a core sadness and a, and fear within Virgil that I think that he is able to tap into, especially in that scene, but probably that propels the rest of it, too. So I think, yeah, he, it's it might be seemingly easier, but I think there's more actually going on in him than just saying, like, oh, he's the crazy one, you know, gives him credit for. True. Fucking hey, that was better than sex. Just shut the fuck up. <laughs> you see the look on that guy's face? It's like the fear of God on you, man. It's the fear of God. I want jihad on his ass, man. <laughs> you see his butt on you? It's not my butt. Did you see his face when we were working on him? He was like... <laughs> Fuck, man. Can we have that gun? That was fucking awesome. That was like, boom! Right in your face! <laughs> he probably pissed himself right there in front of all his homies, not me, man. I was going off. I felt so, I felt like surging through my body. How sweet was that? Man, you had fucking balls! That was fucking smooth! <laughs> Next minute, the gun was right in his face, and I was going off. Ah! Yeah! dad finds out he's gonna kill me that's joey fair. that's a really good point it's a really good point because a lot of actors might want this role but it's also really easy to screw up because you could just play it to 11 and be a caricature and mm-hmm. you're absolutely right and thank you for bringing up that scene i think he's amazing in that scene you changed my mind a little bit and i went i never was criticizing him but he takes this stock and he is actually emotional and awesome with it so good job jason tobin We'll see him in the Fastiverse, right? Yeah. And he's yeah, coming he plays back Earl. And yeah, he plays Earl in Tokyo Drift in an F9. Crazy, crazy. I wish, though, that... I know we talked about this, but I wish he was Virgil because he's Han's cousin, technically. I guess there's just a guy who looks like Han's cousin, if you consider it the same... You know, yeah. the same universe. <laughs> <laughs> he does, His cousin has a doppelganger that just <laughs> exists. Maybe that's why they hang out in Tokyo, right? Maybe he's like, oh, you look like my cousin. Let's hang out. Dude, you look just like my little cousin. <laughs> like, like, where have you been? Like, you look just like... I swear you look just like him. <laughs> and, of course, Sung Kang as Han. Han Lu. So, when he's Han Solo, that's just like a uh, pseudonym? No, I think that's kind of a joke. I think his name is Han Lu. I think Han Solo, I mean, Han, it's, you know, it's a Wasn't reference to Wasn't it like a pseudonym Wars. that he has on an ID or something? Like a fake ID, I think, has yeah. Solo. Yeah, like the city in Korea, Seoul, not like yeah. Han Solo, yeah. but yeah, it's gotcha, pronounced gotcha. Solo, but it's the, the city spelling, yeah. Gotcha. Really quickly, I know I asked this before, but Joe, you believe that this is in the Fastiverse. Yes. Joey, you're kind of on the fence, right? I think it is, but I'm not also going to go to bat to a bat for it, I think. 
I don't think it's a Fast and Furious movie. That was the point I was trying to make the other night. I don't think it's a Fast and Furious movie. I don't think we should cover this every lap, but I think if you're saying it's in the Fastiverse, then I'm okay with that. That's fair. Makes sense to me. I was I was asking Rachel what she thought about this, and she, and she was like, I think that she's, yeah, more along the lines of what Joey was saying, that, like, it's definitely Han, but, like, maybe not so much a Fast and the Furious movie. That that works for me. I mean, totally makes sense. That That's, I mean, I, I get that, too. Yeah. So Roger Fan, to round out the cast, he plays uh, Derek Liu, who is, uh, I don't call him a jock because he gets his varsity uh, letter in tennis. It's, it's still a competitive sport, I'm not saying that, but <laughs> he's almost the most perfect of the core four, right? Like, he's editor of the newspaper, he leads every club, mm-hmm. he's actually, you know, he's had this criminal network even before they even knew about it. He essentially just recruits them. Uh, what do you think of uh, Derek's character? The only problems I had with Derek's character is that he tried to have cool hair next to Han. Yep. <laughs> that was it. I was like, yo, if you got Han there with just like these beautiful locks waving and Derek has the same haircut, I was like, bud, like you gotta do something else <laughs> in this Fair. movie or Han's just gonna like steal all the glam from you. <laughs> I think what's cool about his character is that just the same way that a lot of this movie is the Asian spin on the all-American high school experience, that he is kind of, for lack of a better word, the Asian spin on the all-American. Like, he's the, in another movie, in this clique, he's the quarterback of the of the, of the football team, right? But instead, yes, he's yeah. like, what's the Asian equivalent, like, the stereotypically Asian equivalent? Like, oh, he's the star tennis player, and he's also the captain of the debate team, or whatever. Like, it's all the same things, like, he is that, like, all-American young man who's got the good looks, he's got the popularity, he's got these skills, or whatever, but instead of being the, like, guy who's, like, not the brightest, but, like, can sure throw a damn good deep spiral or whatever, like, a good, like, <laughs> corner router. You know what I mean? Like, he's just the Asian version of that. And I think that that is what this movie does a lot. And what we talked about on our show, about sort of subverting it, but it doesn't matter. Like, it's it's it matters to their Asians because that's the story that's being told, but they're just more the outsider. You're right. They do play it so that he is the star quarterback, but in a way that feels more authentic because he's the tennis star and Justin Lin's telling a story about the Asian high school experience, right? Absolutely. So Justin Lin's actual quote about just the whole Asian American thing in this film is, I didn't want to make an Asian American film. I wanted to make a film about Asian American characters. And I think that sums it up best. Yeah. Yeah, that works. Mm-hmm. Of course, we mentioned him too, John Cho. And I mentioned on your show that uh, John Cho probably the most famous person to come out of this cast i know not on your show obviously but if you don't watch fast and furious movies do you really know sung kang and it's not a diss of sung kang the fast and furious movies have probably made more more money than all the john cho movies combined but he's very much in that world john cho has done i think more things obviously harold and kumar but a bunch different things different things yes yes joey one of your favorite movies he was in, of course, we mentioned recently on High School Slumber Party, Columbus, right? Yeah. What is Columbus? Columbus is basically a movie about architecture. It's not really. It's about loss and about coming to terms and kind of, you know, trying to escape your hometown and coming back to your hometown. And mm. But it's about architecture in Columbus, Ohio, and it's John Cho and Haley Lee Richardson. It's one of my favorite movies. That's, that sounds like a very Joey movie. Like, that sounds like something that, yeah, I can see that. That works. He's a tremendous actor. I was telling my cousin the other day that, like, watch his office audition. I think it's on YouTube, where he he was going to be Jim Halpert. 
Honestly, I think he should have won the role. And there's no diss to John Krasinski, but he's so good at it. NBC, fight me. Regardless, <laughs> he's amazing as Jim Halpert. Or maybe, I don't know if that was going to be his name. Who knows? But he's 30 in this, which is hilarious. He is timeless. He is almost 50 now. He looks the same. Looks the same. Identical. Like, hasn't changed at all. He does not age. I love John Cho. And I think he's really good in this, playing that character. What were you guys' thoughts on him? I kind of wish we knew a little bit more about him. I feel like he's a little bit of an enigma. Like, what are his motivations? You know what I mean? Like, we get that he... You're right. I, I'm firmly with you. But, like, I specifically want to know, like, why do his parents need a wake-up call? And, like, why is he so flippant about his relationship with Stephanie? I get that he's not the main character, but I would really like to know where this is coming from. Because I think he's supposed to be a little bit hidden because, like, his request of them is the inciting incident for the end of the movie. But, like, it kind of feels like he's a bit too removed and a bit not integrated or you know whatever enough into the story i don't think by any stretch of the imagination this movie falls apart at the end but i think if they had again like i was saying with stephanie they had sprinkled breadcrumbs for both of them sort of throughout the movie i think it could kind of all come together more cohesively at the end like it doesn't come together poorly but i just think that for so much importance like for for the movie to end in such a way with like these two resolutions where like what happens at John Cho's house or John Cho's parents' house, and also mm-hmm. you know Ben getting together, get, getting together with Stephanie? I feel like there needed to be a little bit more in each of those storylines set up. Totally fair. I, I I like that. That's fair. Yeah, I, I actually agree with that. And I, I think John Cho does do a good job though, because I do agree with you that I want to know more. Maybe because we recognize him now, I'm not sure, but people watching this certainly were like, oh, this dude's really good. Let's put him in other shit, and he's proved himself since then. Karen Anna Cheng plays Stephanie. We've already kind of talked about Stephanie here, how I think she does a good job, but similar to John Cho, we kind of want to know more, especially with that porno subplot. And I tried to do a deep dive to see if she played the person in the porn video, and I couldn't find it. But I also couldn't find the actor who played the person in the porn video, so maybe it actually was her. Yeah, they're alluding to that anyway, so, like, it's likely if she's on set, right? Like, why not throw a wig on her and... For sure. Especially with the budget concerns, too, right? Like, why hire someone else? But the one scene that, like, makes me think maybe it wasn't her is the fact that, like, oh, there's a rumor about me in a porn film, and he's like, I've seen it, you know? She didn't seem to react like, oh my god, you have, unless she just... She was selling it really well. No, the character-wise. I'm saying, but, like, actress-wise. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. I, I'm in agreement there. But I was just trying to think, like, was she that person in the porn? Yeah. Inconclusive, and they don't really follow up on it. Yeah. One more person I'll just mention in the cast, Jerry Mathers, is the teacher. And he's the beaver from the famous show Leave it to Beaver, so. Oh, okay, okay. I didn't recognize that at all. Yeah. That's cool, right? Very cool. Know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. This movie actually got, a, I would say, a second life and a third life. It came out, people enjoyed it, but I don't think it got the widespread reach that it would have in later years. The first reason, of course, is we already mentioned it. Justin Lane goes on this amazing run in the Fastiverse. I think he did a Star Trek movie in that range, too. And then people are trying to examine his earlier work. They see this. That's where people are starting to watch this film again. But the second thing that really got people talking about this film, at least in my world, the high school movie world, 
in the last couple of years, there's been a little bit of a revival. I don't even want to call it a revival. I would call it maybe the first moment in history where Asian American characters were really front and center in a lot of successful movies. We covered the To All the Boys series here. Um, I watched the half of it last year. That kind of covers a lot for uh, high school, but Crazy Rich Asians did well. Yeah. Joey, what was the one that Keanu was in as like the boyfriend? That one did well on Netflix. Oh. Oh, 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 oh. I I liked it. Always Be My Maybe. Always Be My Maybe, yeah. Like, there was, like, a really cool run here where a lot of films done by Asian-American or Asian filmmakers were kicking ass and doing really well. Parasite. And during that... Oh, okay, yes, of course. (laughs) I I think Brian's just going for high school movies, right? I guess that is a high school movie, too. That is a high school movie, Brian. Oh, my God, you're right. Yeah. i got to add it to the list. How could I forget, though, Parasite? You're absolutely right. It's just such a moment right now that's great because everyone kind of sees things as black and white, but like as a Latin person myself, there are different colors in the rainbow, and I, I just I love seeing this. But the GQ articles are in then, and a bunch of other articles about Better Luck Tomorrow were written around this time, where it was like, hey, if you like these movies, this movie tried to start this in 2002. And so many filmmakers of these more modern films to focus on asian american stories have looked back on that and been like that was the start of something so credit interesting they say this really yeah look at like i'm telling you read these like the gq article that's really uh, cool because the gq article is great because it doesn't just talk to people who were in the film like margaret cho talks and a bunch of other uh, asian american filmmakers and actors are in it and talking about the film so i mean again clap 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 justin lin (laughs) yeah Seriously. But what's great about this movie, it's not, you know, sound like a broken record, but it's not just this Asian American story. There's so many beats for better or worse here that we see in high school films. Losing your virginity, jealousy, grades. Mm -hmm. One of my my favorite things, though, is there's a basketball team here, and we don't really focus on them. He ends up quitting the team, Ben. And they're all on, like, an academic decathlon team that wins the national championship— Yet, we don't see it or care about it because their lives are not even focused around that. Their lives are just all about just a little ring, the crime ring they have at that point. I found that so awesome and fascinating. And I don't know. What do you guys think of that aspect of it? I think what this movie does in an interesting way in that regard, in those plot points, is that it sets up what you think would be the final act like oh they're in las vegas for the decathlon and like they've got to like either you know it's just that or like oh they're out drinking the night before and like you know sleep with a prostitute like are they going to get there in time or whatever or like the game's going to be on the line is the coach going to call them off the bench to make that clutch free throw to win the game or whatever but like no it's just like yeah no whatever it doesn't matter <laughs> and i think to your point they focus on the things that these characters are most most passionate about most into and i think that is just the scamming of it all right so it's Interesting. Like, I don't think I was consciously aware of the fact that they were so like just dropped or not commented on. Like, we see them walk away with the trophy or whatever, but we don't see them actually compete. And so, I think, especially given the other movies and the type of movies that you cover, you've seen how many movies that have like a big sports moment at the end or a big like educational, like you know, decathlon or we're talking about before, Mm -hmm. like Billy Madison, right? Like, these are the kinds of movies you normally see. You don't see a lot of movies that like end in a murder, essentially, or an attempted murder, and attempted suicide. Like it's like, oh, okay, that's that's different. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, 
We get a formal in this, which is, you know, like a prom, which is something that, you know, we see in a lot of these high school films. But I like how they do it as well, uh, where he's dancing with her and it's like a slow dance and then just jumps to that fast music or like that That clubby kind of grindy music, you know? And they're still like caught in the slow dance. And ironically, the people behind them are dancing to music you hump to, you know? Music (laughs) to hump to. (laughs) The CD she steals. Yeah. I love it. It's acknowledging this high school, these high school tropes, but it's not getting into it. It's not like saying, oh, we have to make the Asian American 16 candles or anything like that. They're telling a unique, fun, and interesting story. Obviously, we don't have to get too into it. This is a crossover. If they want to hear an hour and 40-something minutes of us talking about it, or Joey, maybe less if you edit it properly. Uh, <laughs> if they want properly. to hear it, they... wow. <laughs> I'm kidding. If they... <laughs> What scenes do you want to talk about here? Uh, any moments that were, I guess, more on the high school side, less on the Han and Furious side? I mean, we talk a lot about the extracurricular activities over on Too Fast, especially because that came from the Tokyo Drift episode. But extracurricular is—he's like that. You know, that's what they're involved with the entire. Like we were just talking about that, right? So, mm-hmm. oh, one thing that <laughs> I did not mention this on our show, but when they're doing the decathlon, like they're studying, but it's just them partying essentially at the house, right? Like, Han is chugging whiskey and then lights up a cigarette, and Derek's like, don't, dude, you're going (laughs) to explode. Don't light that shit. I just thought it was very, very funny. I like that. Though we didn't talk about that. That's a pretty cool Han moment. Like, a a reckless Han moment, but a pretty cool Han moment. We get some cool high school parties. I like the one that they go to where where they end up having, like, a fight. Yeah. The other kids are kind of teasing them, and then after they have that whole fight, they pretty much own the school. I'm a sucker for people wearing varsity jackets. I think it's hilarious. I don't think there's anything else in, like, adult society that compares to it. You know? It's something that, like, uniquely in your life, if you play a high school sport, you wear a jacket about it. What yeah. else is like that, you know? Like, if, if you do good at your job, you're not, like, wearing something around every day to show off for it, you know? <sighs> Yeah. Did you guys have varsity jackets at your, uh, you know, letterman's jackets, as they're known in other places, at your high schools? We had them. I didn't have one, but we had them. (laughs) We had them. I didn't have one. But I remember one of the students at my school had one, and he, like, didn't get it. He just, like, ordered one. (laughs) That's awesome. And that was, like, hugely controversial. (laughs) I love it. And because ours were, I, I think ours were really cool. Like, I just think Letterman, like, I think they're fucking awesome too. But I was just like, man, I'm not gutsy enough to get one without, like, playing any no, type of, of sport. I mean, to be fair, I don't know if I think they're awesome. I just think they're so different and unique and so even uniquely American because you don't see them in other countries. Just like a big puffy jacket with the colors of your school with like a letter literally literally a letter on it that you earn like who invented it i think it's awesome you know i lettered in track and cross country but i did not want to get them in high school because i I was like that's a stupid jacket i don't want to wear that jacket but i was such a dumb proto hipster in high school that i really wanted a letterman sweater because i've seen like some beach boy albums where they had it the sweaters are super i had like a ton of cardigans too yeah the cool thing about our varsity jackets too was like on the actual letter they would like put the sport like a symbol of the sport on the letter so like yeah like if you like lettered in cross country you would have like what is it like the the wings shoes or whatever right and if you had 
like football, you would have a football or baseball had like a two bats crossed or something like that. So it was really, really cool. Like they also distinguished themselves like that. Yeah, we'd have that on the side uh, mm. sleeve. Like okay. it would, you'd have the letter on the front and then the side sleeve would uh, have like the, like the Wing Chun or yeah. a tennis racket. Or... Exactly, yeah. I've talked about this with Kyle, but like technically the band could get Letterman's jackets. Yeah, that's right. The band did get them. Yeah, in my school too. Did Kyle, the drum major, have one? No, like in our school, the band was too afraid to get them. <laughs> it's like, you know, <laughs> the football team has them. They show them off. They're kind of like natural rivals to them. No one felt like that was a sport. You know, that's that's yeah, an artistic. That, yeah. It's great to play an instrument. I'm not saying it's not, but like, it's kind of associated with a sports thing, a kind of athletic achievement, if you will. But I do love how they rock the varsity jackets here. And again, I, I love that he gets it for tennis because, again, great sport, athletic sport. But in the high school hierarchy, and I think that's what I meant to say early on, in the high school heart hierarchy, tennis does not get the street cred like football does. Brian, if you had a Letterman jacket for high school slumber party, what categories, what would be the breakdowns? Like, what different people, like, I don't know how to ask the question I want to ask, but just how you're asking it, like, different sports, different activities are eligible, qualify. If you were going to do one, what would it break down? What would the different, like, patches you could be, and who would get one? Answer in 10 seconds or less. Ooh, okay. <laughs> that should 100% be, like, what you spend $200 on and get, like, a custom-made high school slumber party. If Nicole is listening, and we know she's not, like that would be the ultimate birthday, Christmas, whatever gift. Just a custom high school, like like that's so cool. Like and you're... and the letter has like we were just talking about like what your symbol is, and it's just like the Z's emoji on the sleeve, right? <laughs> the what emoji? Like, like Z's, like sleeping. I like that. Yeah. Oh, I was like, okay. Yeah, I was just thinking like the S that everybody used to draw. Like just have that be the. Oh God, <laughs> that's cool oh, too. God. I just the most high school this. thing. That needs to be the letter. The letter needs to be like the the three, the nine lines S. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. I'd love to give like my guests after they've guested on X amount of shows, like their varsity letter. That'd and, be so cool. And, and the jacket or something like that yeah. would be awesome. <laughs> so I mean, you get the microphone and guesting. Uh, I get one in editing as well because I edit the show. Do you? <laughs> Do I? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I do want to say that uh, in terms of letters, I don't know if I told the story. I think I might have told it on too fast, but of this kind, but not high school, in our fantasy baseball league, there are three of us who have won two championships. And this year, we all bought green jackets like the Masters. Uh, like, you know, <laughs> oh, that's the, cool. The Masters that's tournament great. in golf. If you win that, you get the green jacket. So we all bought at like local thrift stores. I think one of us got it on eBay a green you know, blazer. Yeah. And then we ordered off Amazon, like the S letter, the same S letter, and we ironed it on S for like our, our fancy baseball team, our league name, and we all just like put them on and we had a little like cordoned off area of my kitchen where we had like only VIP. food that we could eat. And yes. it was the absolute greatest. I'm gonna send you a picture of it. But it's That's it beautiful. was it, it was the funniest like dickish troll thing that we've ever done and it was it was amazing yeah i mean that sounds awesome post-covid i'd like to do some kind of lettering ceremonies thank you for the idea that's probably good for a live show right someone earning their letter on the live show i think that'd be awesome that'd be really <laughs> awesome that'd be really really awesome yeah there's one other line from Han in this movie that I, I can't believe that I didn't mention on our show either that was just so good where they're talking what? to Han about they're running their enterprise, right? And they're talking about the scams and the, the things that they're going to take that they're not going to take or whatever. And there's the stolen computer parts. And like Han just says, I can always sell the shit off. Just like, 
he knows a guy, right? Like, he just knows. Yeah. Even back then, you know, the chameleon, he can blend in, like, he can get the job done. So you just call him in, you tap him, you know, call the, you know, tap on the right arm, call the bullpen, bring Han in. He can always sell the shit off. I like that, and you reminded me of something just about the Han character. Like, we can't forget Dom, not Brian, really, but Brian's a criminal because he associated with Dom, essentially, but Dom's a criminal. But Han's a criminal from the start, from here. The first time we see him chronologically, at least, well, do you count that chronologically or when the movie came out, Lee? He's a criminal in Tokyo Drift, too. He's using high school Already. kids. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, Han's a criminal. We can't pretend that that's not the case. He's not just, like, one of the heroes. Well, who... keep in mind, Tokyo Drift is after the fact. No, no, I know. That's what I'm saying first time we theoretically see him. But sure. even the yeah, first yeah. time we see him, he's he's doing pulling a heist with Dom, well, if you count good, it chronologically, too. too. Yeah. Yeah, actually, yeah, with the gas truck. I wasn't even thinking about that. But yeah, like, Han does crime, and he's been doing crime, theoretically, since high school. He knows a guy because he's a criminal. Again, I love (laughs) Han, but I I think sometimes, even in your franchise, we forget that everyone here, or most everyone here, has, like, criminal origins. Oh, no, they're they're all anti-hero. Like, they're not heroes. Like, we root for them, but they're bad. Absolutely. Um, Even, uh, what's her name? Giselle, right? Like, she... Seems like just like this ex-Israeli opera or whatever, but she's working for Braga in a movie, right? Yeah. Is that Braga, right? Yeah, Compass is Braga. Braga is Compass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like she's working for a fucking cartel at some point. So I love that Han stayed true to that here and just re- watching it retroactively. I'm like, oh, okay. It's not that he fell in with a bad crowd sometime, you know, down the line here. He's always, always been kind of a bad dude. Which... He was the bad crowd. Yeah, he's he is the bad crowd. Yeah. I also do want to say about those computers. They steal. They're like, yeah, we got computer parts. And I'm thinking like, oh, like zip drives or maybe <laughs> like too. memory. And it's like computer towers and monitors. Like that's not computer parts. Like the way that they're like, yeah, they got a whole bunch of computer parts that like need to be installed. And then they're just like wheeling out entire computers. I was like, oh, just say computers. I think that was in the script and they kept it. But... <laughs> It's hilarious. Like, too. I get I get from a visual perspective why you want them, like, lugging out computers, because people are like, oh, yeah, like, if they're just carrying, like, RAM. budget-wise. Yeah, even, people... like, budget-wise, you know what I mean? It's, like, much easier to find, like, six broken towers than it is to find, like, four boxes of RAM, right? Like... And, yeah, but, like, the way that he, like, came up, and she's like, yeah, they're getting a bunch of computer parts that are going to be installed. I'm like, oh, like, you know, floppy drives, zip drives, whatever, and she's like, no, it's just actual. And then, like, Han or one of them just, like, wheeling out, like, a vacuum. Like, they just steal a vacuum cleaner, too, which is quite funny, but, like... <laughs> the vacuum cleaner touch at the end was really nice, and I would love to know if that was just, like, improv or, like, what happened. No, that's probably in the script. I think that's in the script. It's beautiful. It's so nice. How about the whole origins of this whole heist? Do you remember the person who like brings it to their attention? Yeah, the nerdy kid, right? No, it's the it's the groundskeeper's son. Oh, yeah. Same thing. yeah, yeah, did, the the Jesse of this world. Did you guys have a family that lived on a trailer on your high school property? No, because I didn't. I found that I was like, what? So I went to a Catholic school that was run by the Christian brothers, and they lived on campus. Oh, that makes house, sense, yeah. In a house next door. So they weren't, like, the groundskeepers, but, like, you couldn't... Like, they, they lived, like, right next to the school, like, on campus, but so... But he is the Jesse of this world because we talked about that Jesse probably most likely rents or lives in the trailer outside DT Precision Auto, so, like... Very good point, yes. Mm. That would be, like, him going to some crew, like, going to Johnny Tran and be like, I can get you in. Like, I, I'm i there all the time. Like, they leave the door unlocked. Like, I know the code, whatever. So, like, it's the same thing. Like, it's, Imagine if Jesse, Jesse, if Jesse turned on the family 
in the first one. I mean, he, he kind of like, does, in a way. He, like, you know... No. He's just an idiot. That's not, like... Like, imagine if he was, like, Johnny Tran, like, you want to fuck with Dom? Here, I'll let you in. It would have been, like, whoa. Crazy. Yeah, that would have been insane. Yeah. The other thing I was going to mention just about that whole idea of that character, and I think it's, like, cool because it's a little bit layered. Like, there's no... That kid has no chance of being cool in his high school if he lives on, on the property in a trailer, right? Like, yep. let's be honest. Nope. It's insane. The closest we had to that, it's actually someone I mentioned on your show, my friend Dow. His house was actually... Like, if, you, if the high school property was a big rectangle, his house and another house were, like a cut square into that rectangle because they like refused to sell I think when oh. they built the high school way back when it was a farm um and and the house had been there like longer than the high school had been there but it was it, you know it was interesting cuz he just lived right next like on high school property essentially but it wasn't to this respect i think this is a crazy betrayal by this kid like his father is tasked with protecting the school or doing something right and he just there's some new computer parts. Go betray my family and steal these. It's crazy. It's crazy to it's, think about it. It's really, really weird. But at the same time, like, isn't that ultimately exactly what every angsty teen would do in that situation? Like, yeah, I, I actually liked it. Like, I'm not trying to criticize it. I think more than the money motivation from this kid, these guys are now the cool kids in school. Yeah. So maybe it was a way to, like, oh, I can get in with this crowd kind of thing, which kind of means more in high school than money, to be honest with you, for a lot of people. Way more, way more for a lot of people. Uh, let's see, uh, Jinko, as I mentioned on your show, but I that's love what I was going to talk here. about when you were asking <laughs> me my favorite like high school part of this movie, and it was just the idea of like fucking huge Jinko jeans, and like when he's running with the with the CD player, and like he drops it or whatever. I was like, oh man, like this is high school to me, like peak high school. Oh, and, yeah. Um, I think that was one of my favorite scenes. Again, you're, Joey's right. Back to Joey's point that, like, Virgil's, like, a more complex character than we're giving him credit for. The idea that he wins the CD player by selling the most candy bars also so high school, right? Like, the, <laughs> yeah. We had a magazine drive, not a candy bar drive. But, like, like he just bought the candy bars himself? or Because like, he opens the locker yes. and they all pour out. Or he just, like, whatever. So he whatever. cheated. Yeah. For sure. He definitely cheated. So that's that's fair. But the idea of losing something that you won, no matter if you can replace it or not, like the sentimentality you put on that, like he, he still did win this and he was trying to achieve the, uh, the status of selling the most candy bars. And so like him losing the CD player and him throwing money at him, like go buy three more of them. It's still like, man, like that was like, I can feel that pain. Like, you know, do you ever lose something that you won? Like, even if it's like useless or worthless, you're like. But I yeah. feel like there's, like, a wrinkle on that that, like, he won it by cheating. Like, it's not like he actually earned it. I think no, he be didn't more... earn it. But still, like, you're like, I, I won this. Like, it's an achievement still. And to, like, to lose that achievement and to some for someone to remind you that this achievement isn't significant, even if he had to cheat to win it, it's like, it sucks. And that was, like, emotionally tugging for me. I was like, wow. Yeah, that does suck. I hate when that happens. I buy it because, like, yes, he cheated, and yes, it's bullshit, but I feel like a guy like Virgil wouldn't even count that. The narrative in his head is that he won oh. it, even though he knew he cheated. So I agree, like, that it hurts him. It really it really hurts him. <laughs> You're right, yeah, like, the George Costanza, like, he believes that he really won it, even if he spent <laughs> all of his drug money on candy bars to make sure that he won it. <laughs> in terms of, like, just the beginning and the end of this movie... 
So I watched it again just to refresh my memory. And I guess I didn't catch just how the beginning and the end are the same. I mean, I knew it, but I just didn't see it again, so I didn't understand it. That's Joey's favorite movie trope. He loves when they do that. Is that true, Joey? No. He no? Hates it. He hates it so much. <laughs> <laughs> he hates it so much. That's why I was like laughing when he brought it up when we were talking about it. He's like, God, just let us get there. Like, why do you ruin the beginning it's of It's so like awful. This? Like, it's just, it, I don't want to say it's lazy, but it's like, hey, I don't have enough faith in my screenplay. And I almost guarantee you, I don't know for sure. But I almost guarantee you that Justin Lin did not write that into the screenplay. That the studio was like, we need to start this off with, like, action or spectacle. Like, mm. let's have the dead body here. And it's like, no, no. Like we. Could it just... also feels like you're making an indie movie. This is what you got to do. Like, it's just like, they're like, <laughs> okay, put the end at the beginning. You know how this works. Like, let's start there. And you're like, oh, god damn it. <laughs> totally, totally unnecessary to the point that, so, you know, when we were discussing it, I watched it again. I'm like, oh. Oh, the other day on your show, like, I wasn't processing it as, like, that's exactly what happened. And then I see it, I'm like, oh, shit, really? (laughs) (laughs) It's so disappointing every time it happens. It really is. Because, like, the whole movie, like, what was interesting about that was that you think with the way things are going that Virgil's going to be the one who gets killed because he's Mm -hmm. an idiot, right? Like, he's reckless. Oh, yeah. Like, somebody pulls a real gun on him. Yeah. But he finds the body and like obviously he shoots himself later but we don't see that in the beginning obviously but like it's surprising because the whole time you're like how is he not the one in the ground but he's not it just you know things break bad after that but still weird the first time i watched it i was um working so i had paused it a couple times and watched it in parts and that allowed me to forget this opening Mm. and that's why i wanted to bring it up watching it again just together you're absolutely 100% right. When I got to the end on my first watch, and I didn't remember this whole, how it started, the I was thinking... phone ring, yeah. Yeah, I was like, oh shit, it's John Cho who gets killed? That's so, like, that's so... I totally would think it was Virgil. I was exactly <laughs> with you. And the other thing there that I was... It reminds me of Capote, a film I've talked about on... P.S. I love Hoffman, where it's like a it's based on uh, In Cold Blood by Truman Capote, obviously. And the whole time in the movie and kind of in the book, you're thinking it's one of the guys who did the brutal murder and the other one's the accessory. So the whole time I'm thinking like Perry Shen was definitely an accessory here and he didn't want to do it. So it's really impactful that we see him end up giving not it doesn't end up being the kill shot, but the shot that really puts them over the edge. Right. Yes. It's, it, I'm like, oh, shit. Like, this was like the goody-goody of them all, and he's the one who does it. Yeah. But when you see that first scene, and now that I really processed it, it's not that we know he does the kill shot there, but he looks nonchalant and chill enough, just relaxing on the grass like that, that you're like, oh, fuck, okay. Like, he clearly Is a breaks, murderer. Yeah, it's <laughs> a murderer. He clearly breaks bad at some point, right? Yeah. Because for, to do that. So I, I wanted to bring that up from you know, what we said last time to this time that I couldn't agree more. Like, I, I do not need this early scene. This is the best way I can describe it, is that if you take two, this is so hyper-specific, but it works so well, two modern horror movies set in Detroit from the last, like, five years. You take It Follows, and you take Don't Breathe. Yeah. Don't Breathe begins with our main character, played by Jane Levy, running down the street screaming. She's running away from something. We don't know what it is. She's terrified. We, we flash back. And then, like, that's kind of the, you know, the the 
denouement. Like, that's, like, that's the big act. Like, she escapes from this thing, right? But, like, we've seen that already. It's like, well, we know she gets away because, like, we see it, right? But, like, It Follows starts with almost the same kind of thing, just, like, this terrified girl running, screaming, and then we smash cut to the beach and she's been brutally murdered. And, like, I think you can still start in the middle of action and have the same kind of intended effect, but not spoil your own movie. Because... The first time you see it follows, it's like, are, is this the girl that we're following? Because, like, we kind of know what the movie's about. Like, you know, there's this unseen predator stalking you. And you're like, oh, okay. And then she gets killed. You're like, wait, what? And, like, then it cuts to a different... It cuts to Micah Monroe. It's like, oh, what? I thought... Uh, okay, interesting. But I think... Like, I get why you want to start with that punch. But I also don't think it should undercut... Because even if you're... Even if this movie... Even if Better Luck Tomorrow does it better than other movies in that you're still wondering, like, how is this not Virgil? And then you're still surprised that Ben does the kill shot. Like, you still know there's a dead body. Like, how much more impactful would it be if, like, you just see them go to John Cho, you think, like, we talked about, like, they're Raymond K. Hessling him or whatever, and then, like, he dies? It's like, oh, shit, like, that got real. But, like, when they get there, it's like, well, somebody's gonna be dead. There's, like, 25 minutes left in the movie. Like, it's probably the scene, right? Like, I don't know. I'm just so frustrated because it happens a lot. Mike and I talk about it a lot. Joe and I talk about it a lot. I just, I hate it. It's my least favorite thing in movies because I just feel like it's an indication that either the screenwriter or the director or the producers or someone doesn't trust the movie enough or doesn't trust the audience enough to get to, to the end. It. Yes, yeah. exactly. You're like, oh man, like they're not going to like this movie after the first 10 minutes. So like, let's put this first. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good point. Two things that sparked in my mind after you saying that, Joey. One, I think I told you that Nicole and I, who don't watch a lot of horror films, decided to make a wheel of horror this October and watched a ton of horror films made this century. I think mm-hmm. even in the last decade. We saw It Follows and Don't Breathe back to back, and we're like, wait. And I think they were like the first two we saw, or maybe like the first two of the first three or four we saw. I'm like, wait, does every movie take place in Detroit? This is so <laughs> random. <laughs> and they also like look kind of the same. Like, yeah, yeah, it's it's very yeah, it's very weird. And there's I don't remember what it is now, but there's like a, there's a third movie that I also like a lot. Like I like Don't Breathe a good amount. I don't love it. It Follows might be my favorite horror movie, but like there's a third movie that I like a lot, and I can't place it right now. That like around that time, like, within a year or two, also took place in Detroit. And I'm just like, wait, what? Like, I get that it's this kind of, you know, it's a very evocative of a specific mood, but it's still... What? And it has to be cheap to shoot there, right? Like, oh, it's And it's wildly set up like horror, so you're just like... Yeah. yeah but it. I will say that both those movies do use the setting very well. Like, I think, coming back to Better Luck Tomorrow, we were talking about, like, on our, on our show, about, like, the high school experience. Like, is this California? Maybe. I don't know. Like, but it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't feel like it's specific to a place. And that's kind of another knock against it. Like, both It Follows and Don't Breathe have such a, like, they're walking through Detroit in It Follows and talking about, like, don't go south of 8 Mile or whatever, right? And, like, Don't Breathe is, like, these young people trying to escape this dying city and trying to, like, get one more score to get out of town or whatever, right? So they use their place to their advantage. And here, just, like, kind of wealthy anywhere USA, sort of. Yeah, but honestly, in this genre, Joey, it's not something that bothers me that much because I think sometimes filmmakers can use it effectively as like kind of like an any town USA sort of thing, um, that this can happen in your suburbia. So I don't mind it here. I get like Nico and Kevo's criticism that a film called Tokyo Drift doesn't have enough in it. Like Orange yeah. County, which is another MTV Films film. This was an MTV film. We've done a lot of MTV films on this podcast, but that shouldn't shock anyone as they make 
I would say 50% of the movies they produced in the time they were pretty active were teen films. But yeah. uh, Orange County is another film they do, and they really try to make Orange County a place in that film. For you know, it, I'm not saying it's the greatest film in the world, but they do that. Here, I think it's more kind of just like, oh, this could happen in any middle-class suburban town. I mean, you, you see the palm trees. You see kind of like the uh, Orange County backgrounds and stuff. But you're right. It's not like super specific to that atmosphere but i didn't mind that so much the other thing i was going to say is could you and it kind of happens in the series but not on purpose but could you imagine if tokyo drift started with han's death and then we just (laughs) spoilers god oh sorry sorry come on well i mean unspoilers i I mean like come on it does like in a certain to a certain extent it kind of does for the franchise because you're like wait how is it back you know that he's gonna die i don't know that's really weird i do want to say very quickly i just looked up movies set in detroit both a couple movies that joe and i have covered brick mansions and robocop take place in detroit oh yeah Brian, one that you covered whip it takes place in detroit but the one i was trying to think of no whip it takes place in texas whip it no this says scenes oh scenes feature the lafayette coney island and ferndale high school so okay okay i was gonna say because it's very much like texas roller girls and stuff they follow me on instagram hey man blame wiki um but the one i was trying to think of that came around the same time which is 2015 like which is within a year of those two other movies is the ryan gosling directed movie lost river which was shot and takes place in yeah gos river (laughs) shot and filmed or filmed and set in detroit so yeah what happened to the movie i signed up for on boyfriend material we never did it no, we blew through them. We were like, "Oh yeah, no, we yeah, we did everything away from material. You dropped me. <laughs> yeah, we dropped everything, and then we dropped that podcast essentially. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just kidding around. <laughs> Anything else from the film you want to talk about, or should we get into our awards? Let's do awards, baby. You don't want to talk, uh, no, <laughs> ho- hookers <laughs> or? Whoa, you're mean. You're mean today, kidding. Joey. I'm just kidding. Come on, come <laughs> on. How many hookers do we see in in high school films? Because I think How it's it, more than I would imagine, right? Risky business. Yeah. Risky business. This, this is not too much. So. Do we consider the robot in Weird, Weird Science a, a prostitute? <laughs> no. Well, she's she's a, a sex worker. Right? Okay, okay. That's a good term. Is she paid? Because I think she's more of a robotic sex slave, to be honest with you, which is not Ooh. good. I, you're right. She's not She's not <laughs> paid. Most. So I, I, go, I googled <laughs> hookers in high school films, and the top thing on IMDb is... Movies and TV tag the keyword teenage prostitution, which is not exactly not the same we're thing. Talking about. But there's 86 <laughs> of those. And also, I'm sure that if you didn't turn Safe Search on, that you would get a lot of other movies about hookers. Who has Safe Search on? <laughs> okay. Never mind. Revealing, revealing. So, so Joe, too, you do have Safe Search on, and Joe. No, I didn't. I was just making a joke that I'm sure there's like seven thousand pornos that are like hookers in high school. Well, you know like, what? You know what, Joe? There's another genre that has hookers in high school. What? Because uh, looking through my list, we've covered one. Hello? Lifetime. For Lifetime. Sure. Oh yeah, definitely. There's tons of yeah. Well, college, high school, yeah. We covered oh. a high school prostitution movie. There is a website called The Cinemaholic that has the 12 best prostitute movies of all time. <laughs> and number 12, I don't think this counts, but it's a sh- it's a movie that you covered, Brian. The Girl Next Door they put on this list. Yeah, she's a I prostitute mean, and... she's a sex worker in a sense that she's a porn star. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Like, I don't think porn stars would appreciate you calling them prostitutes. It, it's No, it's like very explicitly not that. Not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so... But we did cover that sex work. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. 
Ah, vices. None of these other ones are high school movies, but there is True Romance, which takes place in Detroit, so that's coming up all these... <laughs> Damn, so many fast connections today. God, I'm going to be put on a list for Googling teenage prostitution, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hopefully not, hopefully not. The end end, though, the yearbook photos, very high school. Did you like Han with his head shaved? No. No. Not a fan, awful. not a fan? Awful. Oh, truly awful. I'm glad he grew his hair back, though. It was right? jarring to me. I was like, I, poor Han in general for having to shave his head for that one shot of this movie. Bless that man's acting, like, uh, <laughs> chutzpah, right? Like, he like he really went for it if he shaved his head for, like, just that one clip. Like, I'm guessing either that was, like, a bald cap that they put, like, hair on, like a wig, essentially, or that he had to do it for his next movie anyway, and he just did it to do it. But, like, mm, I don't fair. know, man. I don't think you'd do it for that, just that one shot. Like, no one's that committed to that, to be like, shave off that hair for that. Like, nah. Maybe he was. Maybe he was. Who knows? So speaking of the yearbook, we have a new category here in High School Slumber Party, Ooh. a new award. Um, it's essentially like who is the MVP of the movie, but it's called, of course called, like the yearbook category, most likely to succeed. Movie ends kind of in a cliffhanger because everyone, you know, they've murdered someone, but they're not caught, at least in the movie. Uh, ben kind of is getting his girl, you know? I don't know if it's going to last because he did kill her boyfriend. So yeah. who knows? <laughs> so I think this is an interesting question today. Who comes out on top at the end of this movie? Han. Stephanie. Stephanie. Han. Han. Well, oh. he's, he's the best at criminaling, but not, like, We have a, actual we have a disagreement. Success. Well, look, so, the reason we're doing this podcast today is because of Han. That's fair. But if you were giving out the high school award of, like, most likely to succeed... Han is not going to be the one that you tell your mom that you ran into at the grocery store and is a lawyer now, right? How many of these people are going to wind up being multimillionaires? Stephanie. One? Stephanie. One yeah. for sure. Han, you're right. Yeah, but he's, you're not going to know that because he's going to be fucking... But you thought I was defending you? Like, I was like, who's going to end up being a multimillionaire? You're like, yeah, that proves my point. It's like, no, we see, we see one of them become a millionaire. Yeah, but he's on like the fucking FBI's most wanted list too. Hey, man. Is that successful? If, if you're... If you're <laughs> If you were aspiring to be the best criminal, Han wins, I think. I think you both have valid points. Stephanie's the one who comes out most unscathed. But, Joey, I agree with you. I picked Han for this because we have his track record. You guys talk about it every week. Yeah, we do. We do. That's a good point. All right, Wooderson Award. So this is an award for the character who you would like to see more of in the film. Stephanie. I'm going to say Stephanie. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to inverse it here. I'm going to say Stephanie. <laughs> Okay, but like we were talking about earlier, for me, it's John Cho. I, like, I want to see like what the fuck is going on in this kid's brain. There's something so much deeper here that we don't see at all, so that, that's that's mine, for sure. Both good uh, good picks, I think. But what about you? Who are you picking? Who would I pick for this? I think John Cho. I think John Cho as well. You could make an argument for Virgil after what Joey said, too, but yeah. I mean, that's not always a bad thing about a movie, giving you characters that you want to learn more of. Fair, yeah. Multiple characters that you want to learn more about. Long Duck Dong Award. Offensive Asian stereotype character in 16 Candles. That's who the award's named after. But the award's really about who would you delete from this film? Whether it be inappropriate racially or not. Like, is there a character who you would take out of the film to streamline it or just make it better? Maybe a character felt unnecessary. Anyone in this film? Yeah, I think Derek for me. I could get rid of Derek. Like, they could pretty much run this ring. Like, just, like, give the operation starting with Han, because it's those three anyways get a weird love trapezoid out of this movie and i think it would streamline it a little bit better 
You're right, Joe, the rare love trapezoid. And on that note, I agree with you because I just think that the Derek character and the John Cho character could have been merged. He didn't mm-hmm. need to go to a private school. He could have been that tennis jock who dated the girl. Also true. Yeah, you could have done it that way too. Yep. Yeah, that's weird. It's weird how like they essentially play the same kind of character, but like one is disaffected. Like one is too cool and one parties. Like I don't know. Yeah, I got no problem with that. I'll, I'll sign. I'll co-sign. Yeah. So Derek, not that he did a bad job, just. Too many of him. <laughs> <laughs> there's too, too many Derek. Well, you think about, like, this movie's, what, an hour 40, and there's, like, seven main characters or something? Like, there's a lot of people going, there's a lot of things happening here, and I think that's going back to what I was saying earlier. Like, it doesn't all fully come together in a way that, like, is 100% fully satisfying. I think the movie works, but I think it's not as satisfying just because there are so many loose ends they need to tie up. Yeah. yeah. All right. We teased it last episode on your guy's show, Too Fast, Too Forever, on the Cage Club Podcast Network. The Cameron Fry Award, though. Does anyone in this movie look too <laughs> old to be a high schooler? All of them. <laughs> uh, really? Yeah, you dis- you dissented on the last episode, but I think they all look... I think some Han could... looks a little too old. Han looks a little too old for me. Brian mentioned that John Cho was 30 when he played this part. Han yeah. looks too old. Derek looks too old. Virgil and Ben maybe could pass, but like... I think they only pass because in comparison to the people they're hanging out with, they look so much younger, right? <laughs> Fair. So... That's a good point. And Stephanie could easily be- have been like the cheerleading coach and not a cheerleader too. <laughs> now that we're talking about it, you guys are right. I think that my, my age ageism was skewed because yeah, some of them are so old, but like Han to me just looks like somebody's older brother that's in college that like is still around. Right. Like he looks like he's going to community college and they like still live in the same house or something. <laughs> okay. I was going to ask you this question because obviously I knew it would come up. It's an award. Han, before we know that Han comes back and there's all these movies, if you were just to watch Tokyo Adrift, how old do you think Han is there? Hmm. Um, That's a scary question because he's hanging out with all these fucking high schoolers. (laughs) But here's the question for you. Do you mean bearing in mind the three-year addition that we do, like, to make everything, like, or no? No, so that's that's what I meant. Like, if you're in the You watch it blind... Yeah, like when Tokyo Drift came out, it's the third Fast and Furious movie. You've never seen Han before because you've never seen Better Luck Tomorrow, and you've never seen another another Fast and Furious film with him because he's not been in one. So, like, what do you assume the Han character's age is? Twenty five to twenty seven, right? And I think like, I was gonna say twenty four, but also he looks twenty seven. Like, 26, 27. But I was like, they probably wrote him to be 24, and they just got um, him, and it, and he's actually 27. So Sung Kang was born in 72, so when Tokyo Drift came out, he was 34. Shit! Jesus. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. Wow. So when this movie came out, he was 30. So he's 32. Okay. 30 as well, I mean. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Two 30-year-old high schoolers in one movie. Damn. Yeah, because John Cho, also born in 72. June 16th, Sung Kang, April 8th. Hey, he's got the same cat as my, same birthday as my cat. Nice. You and Han Na- have the same birthday. <laughs> name your next cat Han. Well, it'd have to have the same birthday. You can't like, Han and, Gis- name Han and Giselle cat. are cute names for kittens. Oh, that is very cute. I agree. Fuck. I agree. I think the next brothers I get can be Rico and Tego. So, Rotten Tomatoes, as you can imagine, this was a critical darling, even in 2002. 81% on Rotten Tomatoes by the critics, 79% by the audience, so pretty comparable scores. But this year we've been 
We finally broke it out. We finally broke out the nerd scores on Letterboxd because, you know... Taking I, offense to that, Brian. <laughs> nerd is not a bad thing. This is 2021. This is the age of the nerd. I think you should use Metacritic as well. Next why? episode. Oh, oh yeah, why? Well, because Rotten Tomatoes, as you pointed out in a recent episode, is just a thumbs up or thumbs down. It's like an 80% just means 80% of critics think it's a good movie, which means something but not everything, right? Because like yeah. they all might think that it's a C-level movie, but they're like, yeah, it's better than it's not. But... Metacritic averages the actual score. So if like a C equates to a 70, instead of having like, a, like so say 100% of critics give a movie a C, like a 70, right? That yeah. means on Rotten Tomatoes it's going to have 100%, but on Metacritic it's going to have a 70. So like, it's I think a more accurate representation of what the actual consensus is on Metacritic because it takes the score, the actual percentage, as opposed mm. to just whether or not it's good. That makes sense. That makes total sense. That seems pretty accurate. What do you think about uh, IMDb ratings? Because I, I hear a lot oh, of oh, they're cite terrible. Them. Like they get right? like awful. they get review they're bombed. So off. They seem so off. <laughs> Always just like very skewed. It's kind of like um. When you see, like, Amazon reviews, and there's, like, a bunch of, like, one-star reviews, I always go and read those, and it's, like, somebody that didn't know how to use something. That's what, like, IMDb wants to feel mm. like. It's, like, somebody being, like, I hate this movie. I'm going to go on IMDb and tell everyone about it. And it's, like, mm. Gotcha, gotcha. So, we won't include IMDb. I'll discuss it with the committee if I'm going to use Metacritic. But Letterboxd is officially included in 2021. 3.5 out of 5 stars on Letterboxd by the experts there. But of course, we don't care about any of those on High School Slumber Party. We got the old report card on that, like, Manila cardstock style, you know, that kind of style report card. And I'm going to slide it over the electronic metaphorical desk to the both of you guys, giving you the red pen. Whoever wants to go first, A plus to F scale, what will you rate Better Luck Tomorrow or grade Better Luck Tomorrow? I give it, like... I need to come up with a good, fun scoring system. Well, that's not, it, that's, not, that's not what this game is. I know. I give it four accidental baseball bat murders out of five. But keep in mind, the baseball bat doesn't murder him. They, like, either him after he, like, survives the beatdown. Yes, exactly. I think that this movie is excellent for me personally because I like the origin story of Han. I think the movie's really good. So, like, a B-plus... But, like, all the things we talked about, like, not enough John Cho to figure out what's going on, all the moving parts, so many characters. If it would have just been, like, tapered and cut down a little bit more, I would have liked the movie better. But the MC Hammer funding story is great. So, yeah, B-plus for me. Joey. I'm going to give it a... Somewhere between a B-minus and a B, I will err on the side of caution just say a B. I think Round it's it up. good. I don't think it's an all-timer. I think... It's a little dated, but that's not really a knock against it because it is 20 years old. I do think its representation is important. As you mentioned earlier, Brian, there was so much that came from this movie. that This was so important to so many different other movies that came. But I think as a movie itself, especially watching 20 years later, there's a stuff that I really like about it. But I think overall, a B. That's good. I'm giving it a B plus. So I think we're all around the same, you know. B-ish range. I really liked it. I think it's a really important film. I think even in this genre, you know, Justin Lin aside, it's a really important film. I think it's a film that everyone who listens to this podcast and enjoys teen films should see. 
but it is flawed. And some of those flaws I blame on just a young filmmaker trying to feel his way through That's a fair. movie with probably yeah. probably not a lot of guidance. And I think he does a great job. And clearly he's a really good director because, you know, he's made a lot of money. And I know that's not the, sorry, that's not like the benchmark for what makes a good director. But to go from Tokyo Drift to just take this series to the next stratosphere, literally to space apparently, right? Like Literally to space <laughs> apparently, yeah. You got you to gotta have talent. You're not just like some... I don't know. You guys know better than me, but this is a talented dude. And if this is where he starts from, it makes so much sense. I get it. But important movie overall, all around, too, because, again, John Cho, Han origin story, representation, everything you pretty much said. B plus. I would get if someone gave it an A minus. I would get if someone gave it a a B minus. I think it's in that range. If you're a Fast and the Furious fan, you have to watch this movie. I agree with that as well, and I agree with what both of you said, that it doesn't necessarily have to be in your laps. I think this is one of those, oh, so you really enjoyed the series? Check this out, because this is where Han really comes from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, make sure that you watch it, but only after you've seen each movie eight times. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, sleeping bag. Better luck tomorrow theme sleeping bag. What do they look like, respectively, for you guys? Oh, mine's just, what's the thing, like, when you put a bunch of pictures together? What is collage? This? It's a it's a collage of Ivy League school logos. Oh, I like that's that. what mine would be. You know, I'm gonna steal a little bit from Joe, and I think that one thing the movie does well that we did not touch on this time, but we talked about on our episode, was the kind of the Polaroids, like the click click click, where you mm-hmm. see a character, like you know who they are. Like I think a bunch of Polaroids of different characters, you know, sort of scattered throughout, sort of like mm-hmm. the collage, sort of like the montage thing, but it's just all photos, still Polaroids of the characters in scenes that we did not see. I like it. I like that. Do you got one? I'm going to go a little obscure. Okay. So in the movie, Ben is trying... He does takes a lot of free throws to break Calvin Murphy's free yes. throw record. <laughs> yes, he does. Yes. A, pre- a pretty obscure player. But I'm... <laughs> but I mean, one who had a record at one point. I want a Calvin Murphy... Like It's going to look like a 1981 basketball card. Houston Rockets, Calvin Ooh, Murphy. Like tops. Yeah. Blue outline. Yeah. There we go. So all good sleeping bags, I think. So I want you guys to pay attention to the scenario, I'm going to say. Oof. Because every, every time I have two guests... I know they... what the rules are. I got one movie in mind. <laughs> well, I'm glad you listened, Joey, but it happens. So we got to do the scenario. We got to do it. We're in the magical blockbuster in the sky with every movie that's ever existed. And since both of you are on High School Slumber Party today, when we get to that counter and we see that sign that says rent two movies, get one free... I'll stay at the front, and I'm going to send both of you to the back. And please pick one movie each so that we can rent and have a little trifecta when we watch Better Luck Tomorrow. Uh, can I just pick, like, the most obvious one ever? Yeah, that's. I knew that you were going to do that, so that's why I picked a different movie. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I, okay. Uh, well, no, I was going to pick, what's the movie where, Je- where Jennifer Lawrence played the Asian woman but wasn't an Asian woman, like, the whole character was Asian as a ghost in the show. That was Scarlett Johansson. We <laughs> also might be talking Sorry, about yes. Aloha, where Emma Stone plays an Asian woman or Hawaiian woman. Okay. <laughs> Either, but, uh, like, something where, like, that. But no, I'm obviously going to pick Tokyo Drift. You have to pick Tokyo Drift. That's one of the movies. When you were implying that Ghost in a Shell was the obvious choice, I was like, whoa, I wasn't going to go there. No, 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 I wasn't. <laughs> Definitely not. I was picking a movie that like that was like an Asian character that just got totally played by a white person and being like, <laughs> this is the opposite end of the spectrum. <laughs> okay, Tokyo Drift. Yes. Joey. 
I'm going to pick a movie that hopefully Brian lets me cover on the show this year, which I brought up to him forever ago. We have not gotten to it yet. Ooh. But it's a movie from Thailand. There's another movie about Asian people trying to... Is this the movie that I watched that I really liked? Probably. Yeah. They're trying to come up with another sort of high school cheating racket for their equivalent of the SATs. I love this movie. This is great. I want to get Brian to do this in SAT season. It's a movie called Bad Genius, which is... so good. Really, really cool. Really good. It's a really great movie. Yeah. Joey recommended it to me. I loved it. Yeah. It's just like a high school heist movie, but they're trying to cheat on the SATs and try to, you know, run this whole ring of cheating, so... It's awesome. It rules. Very appropriate. Good pick. We'll cover it for sure. So one more thing I forgot to mention that I wanted to mention earlier. Uh, John Cho. This is not his first film because, of course, we see him a film that we mentioned, but not in the most positive light today. And he's the MILF guy in American Pie. So uh, high school tradition from John Cho. Oh, that's right. That's Stifler's mom? Yep. Shit. I cannot believe a fine woman like this produced a guy like Stifler. Dude! I took some MILF! What the hell is that? M-I-L-F. Mom, I'd like to fuck. Yeah, dude! <laughs> oh, yeah! Yeah! yeah. You guys! Guys! Milf, dude! That clip was in the recent Nicolas Cage vehicle history of swear words when they're talking about the word fuck and about the use of M-I... Because in that movie it says M-I-L-F. Like, he spells it out, and so yeah. that was in the cage uh... thing. I also do <laughs> want to point out, uh, this is something I messaged you privately about, Brian, but I want to correct something you said recently in your wonderful, truly wonderful year-end wrap-up where you watch, like, 30 high school movies in seven days or whatever, but you mentioned that Searching, that movie John Cho, you said you didn't think it was a high school movie because the director did another movie that was a high school movie, and it is actually a high school movie. He's looking for his missing high school daughter, so... That movie oh, takes place entirely a on a laptop. Yeah. That was a really great. Good. I love these like laptop okay. unfolding, like unfriended and like shit like that. Rachel and I saw this movie and we really liked it. I think we saw it in theaters actually. Yeah, Searching is really good. The it's two great. unfriended movies are really good. Host is pretty good. Open Windows is not great. There's a bunch of movies that do stuff like that that work really well. But yeah, Searching, another John Cho high school movie, but he's father right. of a high schooler. So yeah. there you go. There you go. He's got a good history in this genre. And I, I think I forgot to I forgot the title when I was talking to Mr. Mike Manzi uh, recently. Another MTV film, Project Almanac. So thank you for reminding me about searching. Yeah. All right. That concludes our Too Fast. <sighs> <laughs> Better luck tomorrow. <laughs> High School Slumber Party crossover. I think we talked the hell out of this movie. It's a good movie. It deserved it. Definitely deserved it. Glad you guys could come on. Give me the rub a little bit. As the senior show now on, on uh, what? It's true. You guys are the Lettermans of the Cage Club Podcast Network. You walk around with that varsity jacket, proud and loud and repping, repping the network. I have my jacket, but it's for tennis. So we're on the same team, but, you, you know, I appreciate the rub from the popular kids. That's all I'll say. <laughs> Thank I- you. Yeah, thank you. How is I that guess? an insult? I called you the popular. Is it not cool to be the popular kids? I don't know. It was just. It felt like a weird kind of backhanded compliment. But thank no, you. No, that was that was all that I I took it as pure love and that appreciation. Okay, cool. To yeah. be fair, Joey, people have described my entire vocal cadence as a long backhanded compliment. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I understand the confusion. Cool. Very cool. <laughs> all right, guys, promote it. 
say where people can follow you. Make sure people know that you do come from the Too Fastiverse. So uh, check yeah. out once a month, every month on the eleventh of the month, Magic Mike's the Channing Tatum podcast. <laughs> yes. I was gonna go with Foodie Films to do <laughs> to do Brian on Brian's show, but yeah. No, Magic Mix is the one podcast that we have never finished and will never finish. But every Tuesday on Toretto Tuesday, we have Too Fast, Too Forever on Joe Tuesday. We are currently yes. in lap eight, which is the Tokyo Drift lap. Movies either taking place in Japan with Japanese directors, Japanese stars, or movies that feature an actor or the director of Tokyo Drift. Because it looks like if F9 comes out in May, Tokyo Drift is very important to the yes. plot. Very at least true. more important than it has been. So we're trying to build up to that. We've done Better Luck Tomorrow this week with you. And then we will tease here in case people listen here. No one knows this yet. What? This is going Tell to me. be a high school slumber party spoiler for now. What? Next week, not next week. Next week is Too Fast, Too Furious. But the week after that, we were doing a movie from 1966 called Tokyo Drifter. Ooh, so that sounds so appropriate. Wow. Right? Can't wait for that one. Uh, so, of course, where can people follow the show or even yourselves? Hit them with it, Joe. Too Fast. At Too Fast, Too Forever. That's the number two. Anywhere you can find anything. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, backslash Too Fast, Too Forever, cageclub.me. You can find it there. Amicool.com. Amicool.com. You can find the thing at, what is it? It's TooFastTooFever.shop, right? Is the store, yep. TooFastTooFever.com is the Patreon. TooFastTooFever.shop is the store. And yes, if you want to buy some really cool t-shirts that Joey designed, they are really cool. Cool. Our theme of this lap is also being cool. That's what it is. So that's what we're doing. You guys are the coolest guys I know. Appreciate it, and we'll have you on again soon. I hope so. Till I see you again. Bye. <laughs> Joey Lewandowski, Joe Two, the classiest guys in podcasting. Make sure you check out Too Fast Too Forever, not just for the episode that I was on talking about Better Luck Tomorrow, but all their episodes. Very entertaining stuff. It's great. Even if you don't like the series, I guarantee you'll enjoy listening to these guys talk about all the minutiae in the Fastiverse. And listening back to that ending, I hate when people like think that I'm being condescending towards them, or everyone thinks I'm just a mean-spirited guy. No, it's all about positivity baby here in high school slumber party you know what i'm doing it i'm declaring 2021 the year of pod positivity that's right like podcast pod positivity so a lot of pod positivity here on high school slumber party a lot of positive vibes and feelings in the universe lately let's do it it's been shitty shitty times not here but you know in the world shout out to my healthcare heroes out there but let's just try to be pod positive <laughs> oh man, I love it. Couple things I wanted to note. Almost no clips for Better Luck Tomorrow online. I thought that was weird since this movie's 20 years old. I guess it's an indie film and maybe not a lot of people cut clips to it. I had the one. Oh, I was really happy to find that Roger Ebert clip though from Sundance. You could just hear the passion in his voice. It's not like he quietly got up and was like, excuse me, I don't think you should do that. No, he was mad. Love hearing that. Um, what else did I forget? Oh, so when I posted the uh, little teaser I do on Twitter for the episode, 
our favorite, the most popular girl in school, Kate Hudson, commented. It was a weird string of comments. I need to ask her about it when uh, we have her on again. When we see her again. Mainly because I don't know if she was confessing to murder or something, but she said this movie scared the hell out of her because you never know when you're going to kind of be in that situation. I'm paraphrasing here. It was a long kind of string of Twitter messages, but yeah. Check out our Twitter for like exactly what she said. And by the way, just a reminder, class participation is a huge part of your grade. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and of course, you could always hit me up at our email, highschoolslumberparty at gmail.com. That's highschoolslumberparty at gmail.com. Of course, you have homework for next week, and that's to watch a new film. I actually talked about it in our 2020 wrap-up show. And I kind of made a commitment to myself here, and I'm going to make that commitment to the Slumbers as well, to cover a lot more modern high school films along with the nostalgia we do. I don't know how I'm going to do it yet. Maybe I'll sprinkle them in. Maybe they'll be on another day of the week. I don't know. But we're going to cover one next week, and we're going to cover one with the Foodie Films man himself. Foodie Films is on hiatus, so he's got a lot of free time. So I said, come on my show. This show has kind of a food theme in it, but it's more about some other heavier stuff. I'm excited to talk to Kyle about this film, Words on the Bathroom Walls. Honey, it's so good. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Have a good day. Me too. When you're finished with the questions, please pass them forward and open up. Calm down, son. Calm down. Oh, and that's when we found out I have schizophrenia, a chronic mental disorder, allowing for visual and auditory hallucinations. Never normal. The end. Some people just hear voices. Good morning. But I see mine. More awesome. I'm more than you believe in me. I had to switch schools. There's a straitjacket, freak. My mom is on this quest for a cure. But nothing works. Just give it time. This looks like it could be nice. I'm Maya. I'm Madam. I came over here to intimidate you, but something tells me you're harmless. If you need anything, let me know. For the first time in forever, I felt normal. What's with the cookbooks? I'm sort of studying to be a chef. Sort of? Where are you? What? Don't look at me. Look at her. Do you have a problem with eye contact? Do you always say exactly what comes in your mind? Well, it's best to say exactly what you mean or nothing at all. Unrelenting honesty, you know? You know, when I first met you, I thought maybe he's just awkward and unsocialized, but that's not it. There's something else. I don't know what to say to that. I'll crack you, Petroselli. Last night, when you finally called me. I know that you must be scared. And that it's lonely in your head. Adam, hey, stop! I'm sorry. When you're a cancer kid, people are so eager to grant any wish you have. But when you have schizophrenia, people treat you differently. Is that why you didn't tell me? 
Because you thought that I was gonna leave? You see him, right? Yeah, he's real. Everyone's flawed, but admitting our flaws gives us the opportunity to face them. I'm always gonna see things and hear things that I shouldn't. I can't put you through that. What makes you think you get to make that decision on your own? You didn't give me a chance to stay. What'd you have? I love you. You have to let people discover all your dark places inside. Because those are the people that can show you what's real. He's dark! When you can't see that for yourself. Hey, I'm right here. I'm really, really curious to see what Kyle's take is going to be on this film. Kyle nor I are mental health experts, but honestly, I think that's a good thing for the movie. I'll explain more why on the episode, of course, but it's one of these films that at least tries or attempts to explain what it's like to have schizophrenia, and I think it does it in a unique way, a way that's not corny or, or, or weird or offensive, and one of the main reasons I want to have Kyle on for this is that the main character's coping mechanism is cooking. And Kyle, of course, cooks. He's the foodie films man. He has his own podcast about food and film. It's something he could probably cover going forward. And I wanted to introduce someone to a 2020 teen movie who probably wasn't going to see 2020 teen movies. And as I mentioned before the trailer, I want to do that. I want you guys to be exposed to more modern teen films as well as the nostalgia. And if I can convince a guy like Kyle to watch a 2020 film marketed to teens, then, you know, it's a big hill to climb, but I think he's actually going to enjoy this film. And I think you guys will too. Rent words on the bathroom walls. And I don't think you're going to be disappointed. I'll put it that way. And if you are, let me know on social media. Like I said, class participation is a huge part of your grade. One more thing before we get out of here, guys. I want to remind you that life moves pretty fast. And if you don't stop to look around once in a while, you could miss it. Let's leave you guys with let's go to bed and hop in that sleeping bag and hit the hay and catch those Zs or chase those sheep or whatever euphemism I'm ruining. And I don't even think that's the proper use for the word euphemism. That's how tired I am. Oh! Sad news, just read that Hank Aaron died. Rest in peace to the Home Run King. If you don't know who Hank Aaron is, shame on you. That's your homework. Read about Hank Aaron, the adversity he faced beating Babe Ruth's home run record in the South in a time when it was very tenuous to be a black player in the major leagues. Rest in peace, Hank Aaron. This seems very, very weird, but let's leave you with La Tigra. Let's run. I used to be really into Latigra in college, so happy to see that this was on the soundtrack for Better Luck Tomorrow. Later, dudes.
you still here? It's over. Go home. Go.